so the, the weak link is not actually food. The weak link is um, running around, uh, you know, uh, getting uh, buying convenience, um, buying alcohol, tobacco. I mean, I mean, think, think, think of just and I don't want to get in a discussion about drugs here, but but sure. think about drugs. Think about think about the amount of money that economically disadvantaged people in the U.S. spend on drugs. Sure. I mean, sure. it's 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 billions. It's billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. I guarantee you that the current money spent on drugs in this, and I'm talking about illegal drugs. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, the, if you took if you took all those dollars and put them in a pile, <laughs> they would buy top quality food for for every family that thinks they can't afford it. Uh, I, I guarantee you that's the case. Yeah. You're listening to the Blue Collar Money Podcast: Theories of Middle Class Investing. I am your host, P.W. Gopal, performance coach and entrepreneur. And along with the Blue Collar Money team, we want to say thank you for taking the time to join us today. Our goal is to help you get your hands dirty, get you unstuck, and help you live out your best financial story. Hey folks, welcome back to Blue Collar Money. This is episode 97, entitled The Hidden Cost of Food and Freedom. I was talking to my friend uh, Jeff. Uh, shout out to Jeff if you're listening uh, in Bloomington, Indiana. He is uh, a long, long time friend, and we were catching up because uh, we haven't we haven't uh, we haven't talked in, in quite a while. And he was telling me about some of the reading that he's been doing, some of the f- uh, changes that his family has made, and uh, around a couple of books. One of them is in front of me right now, um, called. The Marvelous Pigness of Pigs. And he was telling me about a gentleman named Joel Salatin, um, who, uh, by his own admission, is a Christian, libertarian, environmentalist, capitalist, uh, lunatic farmer. And I, I was like, man, uh, I, I got to know who this guy is. And so I Googled him. And the first thing that came up was uh, Joel on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, and they were, you know, kind of talking about the the the, the cost um, of the food narrative and uh, just some of the things that we bought into that are that are untrue. And and I realized that I I just need to keep learning from this gentleman. So I bought a couple of his books. I've got them. I'm working on them right now. I'm working through them, and I've listened to podcast after podcast. Uh, where he has appeared as a guest. Uh, he is uh, the owner of Polyface Farms in, uh, I want to make sure I get this right. I want to say it's Swope, uh, Virginia, S-W-O-O-P-E. It's outside of Stanton, Virginia. It is gorgeous country. I've been, I've spent a lot of time um, in that area and our friend Jeremy Shepard lives in that area. And um, so incredible, uh, it's an incredible place with incredible people. Um, and so Joel, uh, was generous enough. I mean, I, I got on the Polyface website after getting my books and starting some of the chapters and, and listening and, and, and I just said, Hey, I got a family of people that would love to learn, uh, from you about, uh, about the economics of food and what that means to the, to the middle class. And, and, uh, and even in the, in the kingdom of God, like what are some things that would help us steward our bodies and very short, 
to the point email and he answered uh, the next day and said that he would love to join us. So, man, I am I am like beside myself excited for you to hear from him. Uh, this is part one of two episodes with him. Joel has written um, 15 books and I'm sure he's writing more. He's done countless lectures uh, around the world. They actually host people on their farm. Uh, you can take classes there. Um, I'm going to take uh, the girls up um, to, well, just to spend some time on the farm and uh, and to learn more. Um, every <laughs> you'll see, you'll hear this in the interview. Everything that he was. Um, uh, suggesting that he was uh, kind of narrating about a good food story, I, I do wrong. Um, so, you know, part of our, our deal with this podcast is that I would learn out loud. And as humiliating as that is at times, many times, uh, I just got to do it because I think it's a benefit to, for people to not repeat my mistakes. So, um, so uh, my, Amanda and I have kind of dug in and said we are, uh, we are going to, you know, kind of fill our property up we're gonna we're gonna plant and grow our own food we're gonna i've got about a third of an acre that i haven't even touched yet and um it seems pretty unusable but as i learn more i'm wondering you know i think that it's, it might be a good place to put some goats it might be a good place to place some chickens uh who knows we're just gonna kind of have some fun with it but um man i feel like i have just met somebody who um understands uh well understands so much about the food narrative that i don't know but also about god's um and god's strength and his specificity his of his of his creation like the the beauty in his creation it comes out in this book the you know the marvelous pigness of pigs um i love the fact that he um cares about the environment but he's also a capitalist he's also a follower of jesus I mean, there's just there's there's so many touch points. And I think especially in a world right now where, you know, left and right hate each other and I can't trust any information. I just love that I got to sit with somebody and hear specifically from somebody who's been working in this industry for decades and um, and has something to teach me that I can I can play with. Um, he not that he had to dumb it down for uh, for the blue collar money family, but he he really made it simple. Just some basic steps that we can take. Um and, and just kind of unpacking what, you know, a, a good food narrative is. Um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I just want to say welcome. We are a, uh, a family of people who are following Jesus. We're, we've, we're a family of people, um, many folks that are listening that are, that are not followers of Jesus. But our goal is to, is to figure out how we um, can really steward our resources well to glorify God, to move his kingdom forward. Um, to 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 see his personality uh, expressed in our in our daily life, to endeavor to, and to and to produce to, to to work with our hands and our feet, to invest and reinvest in people, um, and to rebuild this country, um, you know, through trades, through actual value uh, production, and um, you know, our our goal is to make people financially intelligent. Um, and, and, you know, so we can all manage risk well. And part of the managing risks is just understanding what the numbers are and, and, and attacking our assumptions. That's, that's going to be, that's a huge theme for 2022 for all of us is to attack your assumptions. And I love it. I just, you know, I'm not even sure where, um, what, you know, what, what chapter it is in, but, um, 
it's a phrase that actually Joel used. And I was like, man, this is, this is perfect. I'm glad that somebody else is saying it. So I don't have to, um, but we, we are in a place where we need to, to go back and make sure, um, of the numbers. Um, this is a really stupid story and it, and it, and it but it illustrates the point, you know, of, of kind of where we are. We are, we are at times at the mercy of an ever-changing, uh, financial landscape, a highly corrupt landscape, um, and now that, you know, the the Democrats are in office, um, you know, for, um, you know, the last uh, couple years, we have an entire narrative that's unfolding and we don't know what it's going to look like. You know, we, we our giant six trillion dollar stimulus package, I mean, only a, a little over a trillion dollars actually got to people and the rest of it kind of disappeared into the ether. And that is a very typical scenario for a robbery you know, printing money into existence and and driving the rest of the world that is saving our money in dollars. Um, it's a good way to to dilute, um, you know, the, the rest of the world's money. And, and it's a good way for people that are closer to the money and money creation here, currency creation here in the U.S., you know, to, to steal from it. And so um, in... And, and to that effect, there, there's so many lies and some of them are historical. So they're very simple and we believe them, even though they're not strong. There's so many lies that are told that just get propagated. Um, and so our, our hope is that we would go back and we check the numbers. Again, back to my dumb story. My daughter, um, she's underweight. Um, she's Caroline's the one that has, has had the health issues. And we're about two and a half weeks out of the hospital. And, um, she's, you know, she's 33 pounds when she went into the hospital, she had half her colon removed, half her rectum removed. Um, you know, we were in the hospital. It was, it was a shorter stay than our, our, our last one, but it was, um, pretty rigorous. And so she lost a decent amount of weight. Um, she lost about 20% of her weight. And so, um, it's been a struggle for her to, you know, put it back on. So we end up going, we calorie dense food. Um, you know, we at least try to get her to eat calorie dense food. So we're at Waffle House today. It's like one of her, it's like her top two places to eat. And, uh, you know, things are changing. There's a giant sign on the door that says, you know, Hey, we are, we are short staff. So, you know, please be, please be kind to the staff because everyone's kind of working hard and, and you can tell like, it's just a different environment. It's not, that's not the fun place that it's, that it's been for Caroline over the last couple of years. Cause she knows the waitresses, they call her princess. they, Princess Jasmine, because she looks um, like Jasmine. When she was smaller, she looked like Moana. So she was, you know, Princess Moana. And um, it's it's just a fun place. And it was just kind of quiet and dreary. And the staffing has changed. And so anyways, you know, we I'm in there with Amanda and the girls. And we had a good meal. And we're kind of catching up. And, uh, you know, I finally turned over a little yellow ticket. And it says uh, $26.50. And we ordered two meals. And, you know, so I asked the lady to come over and I said, Hey, I just, just got a quick question. I'm not sure if you changed your prices. And, um, and I asked her, I said, can you just kind of walk me through like what this is? I'm like, cause normally we're, we usually pay like 17 bucks, 18 bucks. And she's like, well, our pricing structure has changed. But in the end, she's, she's explaining to me numbers that make zero sense. And at some point she's getting so confused that like it's, she knows that she is wrong about the bill and she goes, Oh, you know what? I do, I do have this wrong. And, and I was like, okay, good. She's going to take like $10 off the bill. Um, well, she takes a buck 50 or $2 off and she's like, Oh yeah. So I'm, I fixed it. It's, it's all good, sir. 
And I just kind of looked at it and I said, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to fight this because it's just not even worth the time uh, to argue over like eight bucks. But I said, thank you. You know, we tipped her and, and we left and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Cause I'm just so fired up by how, not that she, not that, you know, she can't count or that she couldn't do the math. Um, but that, uh, for this, and I, I'm one of the only people that would ever think of this, but every time I've ordered the same meal at Waffle House, every time I've gotten a different bill and normally it's within a range of a dollar or $2. And so I don't really care about it, but this time it was $8 off. And, you know, so this lady missed by, um, by 30% almost 35%. And, and because my head thinks in percentages instead of just dollars, I mean, eight bucks, I'm like, wow, you know, I could just, whatever. It's not, it's not a thing. It's, it's better just to be kind and, and, and to walk and, you know, go about our day. But the percentage really started to bother me. And I, and it just made me think as I came home and I was like, man, how am I going to do this intro? It just kind of clicked. One of the things that, that Joel has been speaking about in his books and in his lectures and his podcast is the fact that so much of our um, our personal narratives, the the numbers are wrong, and even in the especially in the food narrative, the numbers are wrong, um, and and there is a cost to it. I personally, again, I'm going to be transparent here. I personally um, have li- lived very poorly for about a little over a decade of my uh, time on the road. I for some of you, you know, you know that I was a musician for about 17 years for about 10 or 11 of those years. It was drive six hours, um, set up, play a show, go have beer and wings, sleep four or five hours, um, have breakfast with a friend, drive six hours, dope up on Mountain Dew or diet Mountain Dew, even worse, and do it all over again. And I did this for 48 weeks a year. And the result of that is adrenal failure and type two diabetes, um, inflammation to the point where like I had to start getting rid of food because it'd make my back go out. Um, all kinds of crazy things happening to my body because I just stopped paying attention to, um, I guess the cost of it. I just, you know, and my previous career and it was a career of 10 or 11 years, um, I trained professional athletes, so I, I know how to be fit. I never really, you know, um, subscribed to, to eating um, terribly well because I was I had a metabolism, so I could get away with eating garbage and still performing. Um, but I, ne- I gosh, it was I never paid attention to it, and I think a, a lot of our family and and, and our st- strangers for sure are that way with with money. Um, as long, as long as we can get through the day, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of figure it out another day. We'll just kind of sweep it under the rug. We don't quite know. We don't, well, yeah, we don't quite know what the numbers are. And in the, and when it actually, you know, when there's this cumulative, uh, harm that appears, you know, the aggregate of all those decisions, when it finally shows up, you know, in the form of diabetes or cancer or, you know, depression, um, we, you know, even then we still don't know what the cost of those things are. We don't know what the production cost is. Um, so preventatively, um, I would love for you to engage in this journey with me, whether you decide to change your eating habits or not, whether you decide to, 
invest in blue collar businesses or not. Um, I mean, I really, I hope that, that there is one or two changes that you would, you would agree to. Um, but at the very least, um, my goodness, learn from, uh, a, a person like Joel who has put the time in, uh, to figure out what the numbers really are and what the benefits are, um, you know, to, to the human body and, and to, um, all of God's creation on, on the consumption side, on the animal side, on the vegetable side, and then on the people that are consuming it, um, being, uh, us, the stewards, the caretakers, the investors of God's kingdom. So I had such an incredible time with Joel and we're going to put his information up on the website. Um, it is polyface farms, uh, com, And there is a, a wealth of information that you, you can read about, but this, this is a gentleman who spent, uh, I, I literally after we finished recording, he said, well, you know, it's great talking to you. I've got to go. Uh, our crew is waiting for me in the woods. Um, I get to, you know, work on a chainsaw all day. And I just love that, you know, he, he's the guy who's got his hands in the dirt. He's doing the work, um, but he's also learned enough and spent enough time with God that he's willing to, you know, impart incredible wisdom to the rest of us. So, um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, without further ado, um, please welcome entrepreneur, farmer, Christian libertarian, uh, conservationist, um, environmentalist, capitalist, Joel Salatin. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just for me, like when, when did you come to faith? Come to faith. Uh, I was nine, I was uh, 10 years old. Okay. 10 years old at a, at a Christian camp. Um, and, um, in a, in a boy's uh, dorm room and, um, realized that whosoever will meant me. Hmm. At nine years old, 10, I'm sorry, 10 years, 10 old. 10 years old. Yeah. Wow. Now you, you weren't raised in a Christian family or you yes. were? Yes, certainly was. I was, okay. but I was, I was the rebellious one. I was the, I was the middle, the middle child, you know, um, if you, if you read uh, Kevin Lehman's birth order book, um, you know, the, the, the standard is, is three kids. Um, okay. and, and that that's the most true to form. So the first kid is the engineer, the engineer, the, you know, the, whatever the meticulous professional, you know, goes to first grade carrying a briefcase. Right. Um, the, the, the second one is the entrepreneur because, you know, they get lost in the shuffle and don't have a baby book. And the third one is the salesman, the salesperson, because, you know, they're, they're, the little ones have to manipulate everybody. Um, what people don't realize is something like 80, 80% of all salespeople in the world are last borns be, be, because they're, oh you know, they, they, they got to play mind games, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, so generally firstborns become the, you know, the professional, the engineers, the, all that um, lastborns become salespeople and the middle ones uh, tend to dominate entre- entrepreneurs because they, you know, they kind of get lost. So, you know, I was the middle one. And so that tended to mean I was the free thinker, entrepreneur, rebellious, whatever. Yeah. And how, um, like, how did that play out in college and, and beyond? And well, so then, um, so then through, yeah, so then I was in, out of high school and then in college, I went to uh, Bob Jones University in South Carolina, yeah. uh, which is a Christian liberal arts school, majored in English. And um, 
just straight English. And, um, you know, I, I definitely appreciate the experience. It was, it was great. Uh, uh, good education. Ma ma Dad always said I didn't major in anything. I, what I majored in was, was debate and extracurricular. So I was on the, um, I probably learned more being on the interscholastic debate team intercollegiate I, I debated in high school as well okay. um so I, 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 let me back up just a minute you're you're yeah, probing yeah. into some very interesting um um areas here that 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 i don't get to share very much so i i would like to share this one yes yeah. when, when i have kids when i have kids around me and they're asking questions i i tell them one of the most important things that you can appreciate is your failures so um so uh you told me you you were a a little kind of a a slow grower as a little child yeah. and had, had the nickname peewee okay so so i was a, i was a fat boy I, I i was a late bloomer um you know i didn't actually develop a whatever a, a you know my athletic physique you know until i was like 17 or so and until you know i wore, I wore husky husky pants and all this all right so so um um, you know, in, in, uh, in middle school in, in at seventh grade, um, I go out for the baseball team and I get cut from the bay. I don't make the baseball team. All right. So, and, and realized my mother get this. My mother is a health and phys ed teacher. She's the, you know, she's the phys ed, she's the girl's phys ed teacher in the high school. Right. So you know, she's very athletic. Um, my older brother, you know, is very athletic. He's in gymnastics and football and all this stuff. Yeah. Here, here I come along, you know, I try out for the baseball team, can't even make the baseball team. And so in eighth grade, I say, well, I'll try out for the basketball team, try out and, and I don't make the basketball team. And, and I remember like yesterday making the decision, okay, um, that is the last time I'm going to try out for sports. I'm going to put all my attention because I ha had been very successful in, uh, in forensics. Um, I'd, I'd won some, I, I almost, uh, uh, went to the national spelling bee, you know, in sixth grade, I had won some poetry contests, reading poetry and prose in elementary school. So I, I had a gift for communication. And so I, I decided in eighth grade, after those two major failures, I'm going to take all of my talent and effort and turn it into theater, forensics, public speaking, that sort of thing. And so um, I, I get kind of teary and, and all that when I, when I tell this story, because it was, it was emotionally traumatic to admit, you know, I, I can't be like mom. I can't be like my older brother. I can't, I, that, that's not where I am. But, but to, to, to recognize that, that that channeled me instead of being frustrated or angry or victimized or whatever by that said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot here and go where I feel comfortable. And, um, and so that's what I did. I, I, I you know, I never entered an essay. Con you, you have these essay contests. What does it mean to be an American? You know, what does a free enterprise system mean? You got all these little, like, you know, the daughters of the American revolution, you know, they, they sponsor these. I never, I never entered an essay contest through high school or college that I didn't win. And so, and so I am so thankful that as a very young person, I, I had those, those closed doors that helped to, um, um, help to channel my energies to something 
where I was where I was more talented. And and I didn't, you know, I, yeah, I cried over it. I, you know, I wasn't happy, but but um, but I'm so thankful for that. So I, I tell kids today, I say, be thankful for those early failures because they they are nudges. They are nudges that are, that are helping you find your 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 north. You know, they're they're helping you find where you can excel and where you can be. And so so listen listen to those failures watch where you're successful what what brings you joy and comfort and um and 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 don't don't sweat what you're not good at it's okay to not be good at stuff hmm. how how did this develop into um how did that identity kind of disclosure i feel like you know god gives us these moments mm -hmm. where he just right closes things and fills in a little bit of our identity how mm -hmm. did how did that work its way into farming and and then yeah. The follow-up to that is, can you give people a, you know, the soup to nuts of what Polyface does? Sure, sure. So, so yeah, I, um, I had a great uncle, uh, PW. I had a great uncle in Ohio, or I'm sorry, Indiana, who um, had a large farm. My grandfather had a large, very large garden. And um, so we came to this farm in 1961. It was the most eroded, gullied rock pile, uh, but it was cheap. And uh, dad and mom bought it when I was four years old. We moved on to the farm here. And we basically had a glorified uh, a homestead. Dad was, an, dad was an accountant, did tax work for people. Mom was a, a high school uh, a phys ed, health and phys ed teacher, um, all girls until Title IX. And then, you know, then they had the boys in there too. And um, so anyway, uh, the, the, like so many, the off-farm off jobs paid for the mortgage, right? But you know, we, we basically had a great big garden. We had a couple milk cows. Uh, we raised a couple pigs. We essentially, as I said, we, we had this wonderful kind of homestead incubator. And and uh, my grandfather with his great big garden, uh, beautiful garden, and my great uncle with his big chicken farm, uh, I just I just loved going up there and and seeing that in Indiana. And uh, and so when I was 10, I wanted I wanted chickens. I, I wanted uh, something of my own. And so from Sears and Roebuck. I got 50 as hatched heavy breed special, you know, uh, little chicks and I put them in a box in the basement, you know, under a heat bulb and, and, um, started my chicken business. And so through, throughout, uh, high school, um, I had, I had this, this egg business. I was up to 300 layers. I was running a, uh, you know, I supplied two schools, three restaurants, you know, um, I, I, I'd pedal them around, but the bicycle, everybody at church bought my eggs. You know, I was, I was this quintessential entrepreneur, salesman, marketer, uh, kind of thing and honed my skill, you know, with my little, my little enterprise. And then I added a garden to it and I sold, um, you know, broccoli and Brussels sprouts and green beans and, and beets and, and peppers, and all this stuff. Um, and so while all my classmates in high school were, you know, um, doing their thing every Saturday morning, Every week of the year, we had a we had an indoor curb market. So in, in Stanton, so this was a this was a leftover from the Depression era, when farmers were they were food rich but cash poor. And so in the 1930s, they started this curb market, which was kind of a precursor to today's farmers market. But but it was but it had it had all sorts of special uh, food safety concessions, so that um, you didn't have to you didn't have to jump through all the food safety hoops. And so women, women, if they joined the uh, extension homemakers clubs, 
they could sell there. For me, um, I joined 4-H, and though the point was there was this kind of this kind of working agreement between the food safety service and the extension service that if you if you were in the extension service whatever uh, programs they assumed that you were getting the you know the latest greatest best you were you know you were trying to play by rules and you had a you know a modicum of interest in in uh, you know good quality good quality product and so uh, so, so they, so food safety, you know, was not an issue. So here we were, you know, in the, in the, uh, seventies, I was in, um, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, uh, 16 and through high school, uh, every Saturday morning, I was down at curb market. It opened at uh, six o'clock in the morning. And so I was up at 4 AM every Saturday morning, all through high school, uh, taking, we, we, we milked a couple Guernsey cows. We made butter, yogurt. Um, uh, cottage cheese. I had a garden, so I had all my produce. I had my chickens, uh, so I had I had eggs and uh, and my, my old stewing hens. I'd cook the stewing hens, pick off the meat, and sell it as pre cooked. You know, like for casseroles and stuff. Man, people love that stuff. Um, we would we would actually uh, uh, shoot uh, uh, kill um, beef in in the in the field here on the farm in the field and cut it up and take fresh beef down there pork. Uh, my brother had rabbits. We sold, we sold rabbits and, but, but, um, uh, PW, we were, we were probably, I'm going to say we were about 10 to 15 years ahead of our time. This was the seventies and, and, um, and it was still, you know, America was still very enamored of, of TV dinners and Velveeta cheese. And, and, you know, we we were just entering that kind of, that kind of hippie that, that it was, it was Vietnam. And the hippie movement was just kind of starting and it didn't mature into this kind of, you know, organic back to the land uh, kind of movement until the, the, the late eighties. And so, so anyway, so I went to college, so I shut all that down, went to college because nobody ever from the family, you know, was interested in, in maintaining it, went to college, shut the thing down, got out of college, came home and the two elderly matrons that were there with me, there was, it was me. So I was, you know, in high school and I had these two grandmotherly, you know, elderly matrons, one, one sold baked goods. That's where I developed my love for pound cake. And the, and the other one was a more, uh, a general, you know, a general farm and sold, you know, uh, home uh, cured pork and vegetables and baked stuff. And, and they, sh- those two, those two grandmothers shepherded me as a, you know, as a 15 year old into, how do you interact with customers? How do you display things? How do you deal with, you know, somebody that's not happy? How, you know, all those, those marketing, it, it was, it was priceless, but it, you, you, that experience was just, I wouldn't trade it for a million dollars. It was absolutely priceless uh, for me as a very young person to be, you know, um, um, under the, under the, the mother hen feathers of these two mm-hmm. wonderful um, uh, ladies. And so uh, I just, you know, I, I got the farm bug. I mean, it was, it was me. I, I saw that I could make money at it. I saw that I loved the response. Oh, your eggs are so wonderful. They're better than what's in the store. I mean, that's so affirming. It's so encouraging. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I just, I just wanted to be a farmer. And uh, so, you know, that, that bug um, it's, it's still as fresh in me right now as it was, you know, um, 50 years ago. And, and the, the hustle, I mean, do you believe that, that hustle is innate or is it, is it more of a gift? Like, you, can you develop it? 
Well, I think you can, and I think it's easier to develop if you're hungry. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful every day that our family did not have money, you know, that, that we, we came to this, um, well, we didn't, we didn't have money. Um, I mean, and, and when Teresa and I got married, you know, um, I, you know, I bought a, I bought a, a car, an old, uh, 1965 Dodge Coronet from a neighbor for $50. And we took our honeymoon in that car, you know, 50, $50 car. We ran it for two years. It threw a rod in the engine and I sold it to a guy for scrap for $75. That's what I like to buy. I like to buy a car for 50 and sell it for 75. Um, but you know, we, we, um, we fixed up the attic in the farmhouse, uh, as an, as an apartment. And, um, you know, you can call it an attic. We called it our penthouse and we lived on, we lived on $300 a month. Uh, if we didn't grow it, we didn't eat it. We didn't, we didn't have a TV, still don't have a TV. We didn't, um, you know, we, we didn't go anywhere. We didn't go out to eat. We didn't go to movies. We didn't, you know, we just, we just had this dream and, mm -hmm. and we, we lived frugally. And what I'm just saying is that I think, I think that, 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 um, that hunger, that hunger drove creativity it drove hustle as you said hustle but it also um, um encouraged us to be creative because we simply didn't have the money to buy our way into you know we, we couldn't buy soil amendments we had to figure out well how do we how do we bring fertility without buying anything how do we you know how do we do these things on a shoestring and so i'm very very grateful that we that we didn't have money to just throw at things we had to you know, we had to figure out a different way. Mm. Man, I love that. The I'm I was born in in Sri Lanka, so I was born in the third world, raised mm. in a third world family, and you know. But my dad, my dad was bright, and so he went to school um, in uh, in Cambridge, and then came here, uh, went to school at Ohio State, and and you know, so we kind of settled in in Ohio. And they had, a, they had a program there where they take international students, and they pair them up with American families, and they teach you about mm. American life. So the grandmother that I grew up with, um, you know, ran Miley Holstein Farms. And, you know, so my, my aunts and uncles are all these, you know, um, wide shouldered Dutch people. <laughs> you know, and here's this little brown boy, like running around, like cleaning up after Holstein's, you know, on the farm. Uh -huh. And and we, I, I would spend, you know, time in the summers going to visit and it just became this, this, um, it, it was a respite. It was a beautiful place. And I know that it was hard. I used to get up with my uncle like 4am and, and do chores with him. And, um, I didn't live it though. Um, but I got to, I got to be a part of it, but here's my fear in interviewing you is that the folks that are listening, because we have some farmers that, that have started to kind of join the family and listen to the podcast. And my fear is that people are going to hear um, hear from you and and think, wow, that's really great. I love that he followed his, his vision and and that it's it's coming to fruition. But I don't have the the time, the margin, the cash, the maybe even the will to make major changes, to go backwards a little bit, to um, to adopt like a new balance. So I would love for you to, and, but I think there are some folks that are already on that path. So I want to, I want them to be encouraged by hearing from you. Um, but I also want to get a little bit more framework for, um, for how food plays into 
the cost of an American family because mm. there's a lot of unexplained and I think ignored on purpose um, costs to eating poorly. Yes. Um, so if you can, can you talk about the balance that you're suggesting? Because I don't think everybody, nobody has the money to go buy a farm and to learn these things unless it happened over time. And it requires the hustle. It requires those, those special people to influence you. But for now, if there's somebody out there who's, you know, listening, who wants to make changes, give them an idea of like what you're describing, of what you're going for. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a great, great theme. So, um, so first of all, my, my foundational encouragement in this is bloom where you're planted. So many times people, people think that if I just had this or that or the other, then, you know, the path would be easy. Uh, if I had, if I had a spouse who, who agreed with my dreams, you know, and didn't make fun of them. If mm -hmm. I had, you know, children that enjoyed picking green beans, if I had, if I had a better piece of land, if I had a, a, a different job where, you know, I could either earn more money or had more free time or whatever. The, the point is that, that our tendency, I think, is to, is to look out there and say, if I just, if I just had that, uh, then it would, it would be easier. And my encouragement to folks is that's not where you need to be looking. Um, you need to be looking with what you are, where you are, and what you have, and what I call fill it up. If you've got nothing more than apartment, you can hang um, you can hang uh, PVC pipe pocketed herb herb gardens from your patio you can have a, a a beehive on the roof you can you can have a an earthworm you know a vermicomposting kit you know it's this it's the size of a of a baking pan you can have that under your sink uh to learn about worms and, and feeding your kitchen scraps you can you can have you know uh, two or three chickens uh goodness you can have two or three chickens in something no bigger than a than, than a, a, a a large dog carrier okay uh mm -hmm. the, the point is to, to do something where you are, bloom where it, do you have even a even a postage stamp? You could grow a, a postage stamp outside. You could you know grow tomatoes, do edible landscaping, plant you know plant three uh, strawberry plants. Um, th there there are things that you can do because in my experience, um, movement creates movement. I mean we have this inertia thing. Well, very seldom, very seldom do you get to take a, a 10 step, uh, a, a 10 step sprint. Normally you only see one step ahead hmm. and then you get another step and, and the law of sowing and reaping, you reap what you sow. So you, so you sow where you are, what you can do with what you have. Don't, don't, don't complain and, 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 and feel, you know, a victim over where you are, fill up what you have. And then the next step becomes you know, becomes uh, apparent, becomes available. And people, hmm. people tend to be rewarded. People tend to be rewarded on their track record. Um, and so, so that, that, that's, that's my encouragement is, is to fill up where you are uh, right now with what you have. I mean, hmm. the, right now, um, the, the statistics are that the average American male between 25 and 35 years old, the average American male spends 20 hours a week playing video games, but between 25 and 35 years old, 
The average American male spends 20 hours a week playing video games. Think of think of what that screen time could if you spent that screen time um, do, doing some other creative things, you know, mm. uh, you know, what, you know, fixing your own food from scratch, which now brings us to the second part of your question, which is the cost of eating poorly. And so, um, you know, one, one Mountain Dew has, uh, what, 16 teaspoonfuls of sugar in it. Um, and, and how many people, you know, drink one of those a day? Uh, and, and we run into some people that drink two or three of them a day. Okay. And so the, you know, the, the U S right now, the U S right now leads the world. You know, there are places where you want your country to lead the world. We want to have the best basketball team. We want to have, you know, the best, the, 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 the highest n- number of uh, gold medals in the Olympics. All right. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there are things where you want to be number one, but there are places where you don't want to be number one. And we're also, we are number one in chronic morbidity. So not infectious disease, that's in Africa. Africa still leads the world in, infe- you know, where you have your, you know, tuberculosis and your, and, and, and infectious disease. Um, but I'm talking about chronic, uh, chronic non-infectious. That's what the category is. So we're talking about cancer, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, hmm. um, you know, these kinds of things. And, and the U.S. leads the world in these, in these um, diseases. We have the highest health care cost in the world. Um, and, and, so, uh, and so to me, the, the, the short soundbite is when, when you travel, when you travel around the world um, and you ask people, what do you think of if I say American food culture? You know, if you go to Sri Lanka, you have certain things that you think about, you know, food culture, you go to Japan, you know, you think sushi, you you go to uh, Russia, you think caviar, you go, you know, you you go to the Netherlands, it's cheese, you know, you, you have all these, these cultural things. Well, I can, I guarantee you, and I've done this all over the world for years and years, just as a point of personal curiosity, I have never had anyone outside of the U.S., when I asked them that question, U.S. food culture that didn't say quickly McDonald's, okay? Huh. And so, so the, the soundbite is, is it any wonder that a culture whose food culture is McDonald's also has the highest chronic non-infectious morbidity rates? Hmm. And, and so there, there, is a, there is a direct relationship between, um, you know, uh, between between how we eat so then the question is well well how do how do i eat well and afford it you know how how can i and so uh so there there are several ways that you can do that the first one is to buy unprocessed 90 percent of what's sold in the grocery store is processed it's cans of this frozen that you know uh uh, highly processed it's it's you know it's it's um Mm. it's half cooked half cooked, uh, you know, uh, broilers with pop-up thermometers in them, you know, all that stuff is expensive. It costs a lot. In fact, right now, today, you can buy a whole chicken, a pastured whole GMO free chicken from us for uh, less per pound than boneless, skinless breast at Walmart. Okay. Oh my word. So, 
so so yes to do that you've got wings you've got thighs you got a drumstick right. you got bones but guess what you've got broth you've got uh uh you know leftovers you got all this stuff and and and, and so um so the, the number one way to reduce your your budget is don't buy anything that somebody else has processed get get um unprocessed everything okay and what that means then is you've got to get in your kitchen and uh and you simply cannot here you simply cannot have an an integrity food system that is so profoundly abdicated in visceral participation hmm. so 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 that you know what 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 your grandmother and my grandmother you know what we what what they did they took you know, they took meat and they cooked it. They took uh, uh, green beans from the garden and they they prepared them. They canned them. They whatever you know, um, froze them. All that uh, stuff. We we we, you know, um, before extremely recent times, the kitchen was the epicenter of the home. That's where the conversations happened. That's where people mm. you know uh, uh, got together. Today, it's the entertainment center. The entertainment center has replaced the kitchen and i'm suggesting that that we have to we have to replace um we have to replace the entertainment center now again and go back to um the culinary center and if we start using our culinary center for preparing packaging processing and preserving our food we can buy it unprocessed we can buy it in bulk so you don't buy a t-bone steak you buy half a beef you know and mm. you have a freezer uh freezers are cheap you know and and you and i mean i'm speaking we're in livestock you know so i'm tending to sure, think right. of livestock but but the, <laughs> but the same thing is true you know you, you, you go down to the farmer's market go down to the farmer's market in uh uh you know two weeks before frost and tell any produce grower down there tell you what i'd like to, i know it's almost the end of the season um, uh, PW, I don't know if you know this, but tomatoes have a conversation about a week before frost and they say, Hey, frost is coming. We all got to get ripe. The problem is that, um, that everybody's tired of tomatoes by that time. Then, you know, they're starting to look at butternut squash and, you know, sweet potatoes and, and all that. Um, and so go to our farmer's market and you can get for, for 50 cents on a dollar. And believe me, farmers will be happy to sell them to you mm -hmm. bushels of late season tomatoes maybe slightly blemished and you take them home and you and you use your little you know your little food mill and you make and you can tomato tomato juice you you dice them up and you can tomatoes and you um and, and you preserve all this mm -hmm. and, and you can get it for 50 cents on the dollar top you know top uh uh you know uh, chemical free stuff mm -hmm. so so think think about where you can salvage um uh, you know, you don't need T-bone steak by, um, by chuck roast. Uh, it's actually tastier and it's, you know, a third as expensive. Um, hmm. and so these are ways that you can save. And finally, I'll just say this, I'll just say this. whenever somebody comes to me and says, oh, you know, I'd like to buy your food, but it's just too expensive. I say, quick, quick, take me, take me by the hand and take me to your house. And here's what we're not going to see. We're not going to see tobacco, alcohol, coffee, widescreen, flat screen TVs. We're not going to see takeout. We're not going to see DiGiorno's frozen pizza. We're not going to see lottery tickets. All right. Yeah, I can go down this list. Right. And, 
and and um are there poor absolutely there are poor people poor people have been with us you know forever and ever and ever okay but the fact is that much of poverty much of poverty is um inappropriate uh economics uh, just just inappropriate economics and um and so the the weak link is not actually food the weak link is um running around uh you know uh, getting uh, buying convenience um buying alcohol tobacco i mean i mean think 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 of just and i don't want to get in a discussion about drugs here but but sure. think about drugs think about think about the amount of money that economically disadvantaged people in the u.s spend on drugs Sure, I mean, sure. it's, it's, it's billions, it's billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. I guarantee you that the current money spent on drugs in this, and I'm talking about illegal drugs. Sure, um, sure. Uh, the, if you took, if you took all those dollars and put them in a pile, <laughs> they would buy top quality food for, for every family that thinks they can't afford it. Uh, I, I guarantee you that's the case. Yeah. Friends, you've been listening to Blue Collar Money, theories of middle-class investing. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming content. We very much appreciate you taking the time to join us. Please let us know if there's anything we can do to help you live out your best financial story. 